Yeah, and we're back with the episode of The Bottom Line. This is the show where we get to the bottom of business and finance by reading in between the lines. Hosted by myself, Kevin Frantic, along with my esteemed colleague, Kamai. Kamai. <coughs> Mr. <coughs> Money Station. Let's, let's do that again. Don't choke on his name. Mr. Money yeah. Station, Kamai, every inside. Yeah. Um, you know what? I just want to start again by saying to people, if you are looking for a show that's about gossip, that's about how to manage your man or how to manage your wife this ain't the show to switch it it's cool i'm not gonna feel offended it's fine <laughs> this is the show where we talk about real stuff real facts real figures if you want to know about business you want to know about finances you want to know about investments this is the show that you come to getting down to the bottom line of everything none of the gossip none of the kerfuffle none of the relationship topics about who's gonna be splitting the bill and stuff yeah it's just straight up that's it that's it now in talking about all that good stuff on this episode, I'm going to talk about some of the bad stuff. Some of the bad stuff that makes business grow, some of the bad stuff that makes business happen, because as we all know, business is cutthroat, isn't it? Sure. But I didn't realise how cutthroat business can be. When I say that, I mean families breaking down, brothers, relationships, all of these things happen in business. Do you know what? Taking you on to that point, I remember actually speaking to my solicitor, and yeah. do you know what the number one breakdown in business is? Go on. Family feuds. Is it family feuds? Family feuds. And it's so funny because, just personally, I talk personally for a second, just last year, 2021, I made a conscious decision to myself to employ less family and friends, not because I don't want them to have money, because I, want, I think our bond and our love is more valuable than having a feud over a wage or time someone's getting paid or the time someone's working but it took me five six years of business to, to even think about that yeah to even value the fact that you know it's better for me to preserve our relationship because that's more valuable for my business success but then at the end of the day it's not just about you being family or you being friends i understand the whole concept of wanting to obviously you know do business with your family and stuff like that but i always say this a liability will always be a liability yeah could never ever ever try and turn certain liabilities into assets it just won't work that way 100%. and you know hiring certain individuals in your family yes i completely understand that but if they don't have the skill if they don't have the, the drive the work ethic you know it's just not going to work so. and business ultimately falls down to the people you need to have the best people in the best positions um not being rude but a lot of times your family aren't that mm. it's not that they've got their own career their own livelihood their own interests so dragging them into your passion and getting half effort out of it doesn't make sense when you can employ somebody or work with somebody who actually is passionate in that field and industry. So what are we talking about today? Let, let them know. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the kind of up background of Gucci. So for those that don't know, Gucci is a brand that was set up by a family. It's a family-run brand at the start. Um, two brothers? It was it was three. There was actually three individuals Three brothers. So I kind of want to get you guys up to speed with one of the brands that we see every single day. How much times do we see Gucci? How much times do we hear Gucci? But do you know about, I was going to say bloodshed, but that's a bit... Oh, do it, you know it, about, it, it is bloodshed because when we actually go into it, yeah? you're going to hear about, okay. about parts of it. So my knowledge, and I'm not as detailed in this with you, so please come in whenever you need to. Gucci was set up by a family. This family... Um, had a couple of sons and you know daughters, uh, offspring, and it started to become a separation when the founders of Gucci, the elders, the dad and the uncle, uncles, started to hand off to the children. Is this right? Yes, but what people don't actually know is that Gucci actually started in the 1400s. Oh, sh well, yes, Gucci started that. in the 1400s. So you had Gucci or Gucci. Yeah, he came from Florence. Yeah, moved over to Paris. Yeah, 
Then he started working. I believe he actually started working at a hotel. Okay. Dealing with luggage. But what he was doing in that time is he was learning about the fashion industry. He was learning about <clears throat> traveling and things like that. Yeah. So he was looking into the high-end luxury stuff from of the, the wealthy people from the start because he was in a hotel. He then went and moved from there. Um, I think four years after that, he went to a European railway company. Okay. And they specialize in upskilled um, travel leisure, okay. I believe it was. So he started the actual brand of doing leathers. Oh, so okay. he was the originator of it. So the origins, like, yeah. Wow. So the origins of it actually come into Gucci or Gucci in the 1400s. So Gucci's been around for longer than people think, you know. See, it's mad you said that because I've always thought Gucci was one of the newer brands. No, it's actually not because I think he bought his shop in 1921. Yeah. It wasn't Gucci. Yeah. But it was the origins of it, of, you know, getting into the fashion yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff started, started by him. Okay, interesting. So... Bringing it fast forward into this like modern era of Gucci, what we all recognize now then. Um, how was it set up then? So I'm guessing these are his grandsons or Gucci or Gucci person. Yeah, so these are going to be his grandsons or his great-grandsons. Great, great so grandsons, then he's yeah. obviously passed the, the business down. Yeah. And then they've obviously started a Gucci brand. Um, I think it was obviously his son, so Gucci or, That's right. or whatever, his son that started the actual business. So where did the problem start? Because I know there's big, 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 <laughs> Big beef, you know, when I say big beef, I'm running about some Romeo and Juliet, some Shakespearean level beef, like this is proper beef, you get a bit. So where did it start? Well, what actually happened was, so they were thriving at one stage. Um, the company, I think it was actually trademarked around the 1930s. Yeah. Around them sort of times. And they, I think they originally just looked at handbags at that time. Yeah. They've dealt in the war. Yeah. So they've actually been creating pieces in the war. I think it was um, World War One or World War Two, if I'm not mistaken. They actually started creating the boots. Oh, really? Yeah, so okay. it was Gucci. That's how they put themselves on the map originally. Right. Now, the family started getting involved. Um, I think they launched the boutique at some sort of time. Um, I think it was the 1960s or something yeah, along those yeah, lines. Yeah. And um, the son started getting involved. Yeah. Aldo, Aldo. being a specific one. Okay, then. We need to um, clap that name, Aldo, because... It was, yeah, because you see him? You see that? You see him? See that brother there? <laughs> Different brother. Snake, them snakey <laughs> Snakey brothers, little brother. God. But um, they was obviously doing well and whatnot. And then um, Aldo decided to actually go off into himself. So okay. I think he decided to actually go open up like his own Gucci little branch. So... A little birdie told me that this idea for Aldo to start being independent kind of stems from him having a new wife or something and a, some new ideas coming into the mix. Is this right? Yeah, because he originally tried telling his father to obviously open up shops in different places, but his father didn't want to follow that model. Yeah. So then his father did at one stage, I think they opened up a shop in Rome or something along those lines. But he was basically telling the family, look, if we want to expand, we yeah. need to start going out. Yeah. They didn't want to do that. They wanted yeah. to keep the business in. So Aldo decided to completely venture off and separate himself, consolidated anything that he had to do with that organisation, and then went on to actually um, create his own thing. So at this point then, was Aldo using the Gucci name or not? Yeah, he was using the Gucci name as well. Uh, so he was running his own line of Gucci yes. independently? Separate them. from the actual company right. Gucci. Okay, 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 okay. So when Aldo does this, what's the knock-on effect? In the so they were, not, they were not having it. They didn't like it. So... The company obviously started falling into a red line in terms of its profit. Yeah. Um, I think they spent a lot of money on their headquarters. Yeah. And they started blaming one of the brothers. I think it was Rodolfo that actually started blaming. Yeah. Um, and then obviously everything went bad from there. So what they done was they consolidated the business completely. Pause. Consolidated the business. So what do you mean? I don't, I don't 
for the people at home. So when, like, so when somebody's going to consolidate a business, what that basically means, all the practices within the business, they've completely stopped it. So they said, you know what, what we're going to do is instead of us being a private company that are operating as a family, we're going to open it up to the public. And that's when you started having other people coming in to actually buy the company. Okay. So then there was other individuals that were buying shares into the company, okay. left Aldo with a very small percentage of that. Mm-hmm. I think it was something in the ranges of about 16.7%. Wow. Because what they don't tell you is that, and this is the craziest thing, and it makes me laugh. Imagine your nephew <laughs> coming out and literally declaring war against you. And that's what happened. So <laughs> I watched the, is it House of Gucci, the movie? Yes. I don't know how historically correct this is, but I did watch a documentary to back up some of the facts. I'm just that kind of dude. So you write um, the nephew. What was the nephew's name? Yeah, um, what was the nephew's name again? The, ne- the nephew, anyway. Let's just say the nephew. The nephew had the wife. Yes. And they were starting to meddle to break down the business internally. Yeah. And they set on a strategy, or as you were, or a plan to get the uncle out and get the cousin out in it. Yeah. Maurizio. That's, that's it. Maurizio. This way, yo, listen, you need to have a good producer on your team, you know, because you need that update. Maurizio, Vanguard. Big Maurizio. Big Maurizio. So Maurizio <laughs> got his wife. His wife was quite savvy. And in the movie, she was played by Lady Gaga. Is that yes, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's quite savvy and it seems like she was like you know the earworm that giving some of the ideas to take to be more ambitious yeah. um, and they basically like started to war like a uh, started to a family war where uh, Mauricio, Maurizio, Maurizio is trying to get the company back off the family um, so how how do we get to this stage where like Maurizio is even in a position where he wants to have a small percentage and sell it. I don't, I don't know what's happened. Well, literally, what he decided to do is he inherited his father's majority of the, of the stake in the company. Okay. And then that's when he declared the war. So he basically said, I want you out. Shit. Don't want you having anything to do with it because of his decisions. And then <clears throat> what people don't know is that Aldo actually ended up in prison. Yeah. For tax evasion. And um, didn't Maurizio have something to do with that? I believe so. so I believe he actually has something to do with it in the It's background. obviously hearsay because I don't think it's ever been proven. But the hearsay is that Maurizio and his wife set up his uncle for tax evasion, put him in prison, and whilst he's in prison, started buying back the shares of the yeah, company and yeah. started taking them to a new level. Um, this is the same uncle. So this uncle that we're talking about, Aldo, Aldo is that his name? Yeah, it's Aldo. He's quite flamboyant in character. So he was the one that, um, like um, Kamai said, he wants boutiques, he wants to have a shopping experience, he wants to spend money on big headquarters, he wants to be luxurious and lavish. Um, so when it came to tax evasion, Everyone's like, yes, this is what we want to get in for because my man's been living big. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Well, he only got a year. A year, yeah. You know, it's actually quite crazy for him to get a year for tax evasion. Paid, isn't it? Paid pay the, well, yeah. pay the cost to be the boss. Paid the cost to be the boss. Pay the cost to be the boss. You know what I'm saying? So he comes out of, pri- comes out of prison to find that Maurizio has already brought him out of the company. Yeah. And at this point, has Maurizio still got his share? Um, yes, yeah, so I think Maurizio had the majority share. He's actually taken the majority share of it. Um, he sold almost, I think it was 47.8% to... of his share. I think it was a, um, I definitely know it was the previous owners of Tiffany. Okay, I, yeah. name. I think it was like Bar and Investment Fund or something. They're like, a, I don't, and I don't want to get this wrong, it's either a Saudi or Arab-based investment company. Something. I don't want to say the right, the wrong geographical location, but it's from that area of the world. And they're a group um, which were buying up a lot of um, luxury lifestyle brands to enhance their portfolio. So again, you know what it's like in the side of the world. Um, they've obviously got a, a accumulated wealth generationally from oil and things like this nature, but they're always looking to diversify the portfolio. That's why we've got Dubai. Dubai is supposed to be like a playground to create, to create their money running. 
Um, and in this time, they were going by buying luxury brands. So they bought Gucci, a majority. So a, a brand that used to be owned by a family, 100%, has been internally broken down and sold Come to me. some guys from the Middle East or the Eastern part of Asia. Um, these guys have gone on to buy Tiffany's as well. So these are, this, is a, these, these, this group from the Middle East or Eastern Asia, I should say, have gone on to do big things on the back of this family being dismantled. So my question really here is, how well would Gucci be if it was still a family-led company? I don't think they would do well. You don't? No, I don't think they would do Why? well. And I'm going to say this in the end of my days. So there was extravagant spending that was actually going on for the headquarters, number one. You can't be doing them things when you're in business. Spoken like a true accountant. I'm telling you now, <laughs> Straight up. Me. I don't give a damn. <laughs> I don't give a damn. I'm looking at your company books and you're telling me that. I'm going to say, mate, you're, you know, you're, you're done. You got six months. You're done. You can't be doing them sort of things. Yeah. What I do like about Maurizio Gucci, and you know what? People can say this is snaky. I don't give a damn. Yeah. The other 50% that he retained... He sold that as well. Yeah, he killed it. You don't give a damn. And you know what? I think it put them in a position because if we actually go into it, um, there was a hitman. Yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> go on. Yeah, so I think there was, uh, I think the family involvement, obviously that completely got eradicated and whatnot. Oh, because Maurizio died? Yes. Yeah. And then the wife. You remember, I think it was the wife. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now you're talking yes. big. This is why the Gucci family is crazy. So Maurizio being... A normal guy. Got egotistical from being the heir and the sole runner of um, Gucci. And he starts to embark in an extramarital relationship. Yes. Is that we're calling it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had an extramarital relationship. Basically, he had a side thing in it. He had a side chick, basically. Um, but he likes the side chick more than his wife. And he ended up leaving his wife for the side chick. Yeah. Um, the part of me that I know is I'm not going to talk about side chicks and stuff podcast but this this is this is this is relevant yeah <laughs> so when he gets this new side chick um he cuts off essentially his wife and the two children yeah two i think they've got two or three children um but this wife is a bad b-i-t-c-h ba yeah buddy bad b-i-t-c-h <laughs> she's what he's helped him to get to his point so far she is not having it there's a phrase that says there's no wrath like a woman's scorn Yes. This is a woman's scorn with the biggest raft going. The biggest raft. Um, and it allegedly, I say allegedly because there's evidence to prove, per se, that she set up a hit to kill Maurizio because check, she was getting no... Check where he died. In his office, in it? HQ. His office in Milan. On the stairs of his office, she set up a hit for instance. Just came, um, blew his brains out. You want to hear the joke of it, though? So at, she said two dodgy things in the interview afterwards. On the funeral day, they interviewed her and they said... Some people die, as she said, some people have the privilege of being murdered. Yes. And my husband had the privilege of being murdered. Mad phrase, take that how you want. The second phrase that she said, whilst they were going through their marital problems before we died, she says, you know, you can have the choice. You can either, this is the biggest phrase you've ever heard, cry in a, on a bicycle or cry in an Aston Martin or crying a Lamborghini. She, she created this phrase. This is her biggest phrase. It's her phrase. So you know what kind of lady this person is. She's obviously based off the material um, kind of mind thinking. So when he left her for this side chick, she, she couldn't deal with it. But then you know what the funniest thing about it was? She served time 16 years. Yeah. 16 years in jail. If you do that now, you bloody get life. You get life. But again, she's got money. Off. And when she come out of jail, she come out to money. Yeah, she came, she's up up <laughs> so it's a mad 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 story and 
But going back to the, the key takeaway of obviously what you was asking, the reason why I don't think it works. Oh yeah. Um, you got liabilities in a family. Yeah, now there was clearly. multiple liabilities in that family. Yeah. And I'm always going to say this: you can't be around liabilities. You need to make sure that the structure of your power team is there. I get ya. I hear ya. Go on. Go, go on. on. No, go on. I hear ya. It's just that I do think a lot of Gucci's early success came from this. Like you said, their granddad was involved in luxury and hotels and trains. I've had like, you can't teach style. You can't teach taste. This has been passed down for generations. And when they're creating these flamboyant prints and these great um, products with materials people never used before, it's because of that lineage. And I feel like somebody can come in and try to imitate 100%, but some things are in your blood. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And he, you, don't know, you don't know how advanced Gucci would be now if they carried on as a family. But look what Gucci are doing now. Look at the pieces that Gucci have done. Yeah. Look at the collaborations. Me personally, I think if the family was involved, especially because it was based on ego. Yeah. A lot of it was based on, this is what I want as opposed to, this is what I want for the company, for yeah. everybody. I believe on that basis, because the ego was so high, they would have not gone and done collaborations with all these other people. Maybe. They wouldn't have gone and put themselves in that position. It's such a big... That's a, such a big assumption to make, though, because we can't say... We don't literally know. But then you've got people literally going behind each other's backs within the family at that time. It was only... There was at a red line in terms of they had their profitability of the company was going down and down and down. I and honestly down. feel like, and this is just straight off the hip, I'm not saying it's based on any facts, but if Maurizio didn't die and his children came up with Maurizio's guidance in the company... We don't know what the new chapter of Gucci could have looked like. We'd have probably tried killing the ex-wife. With a, with a, exactly, <laughs> with, a, with a savvy mum, like how she was. Even though she's a murderer, she was savvy. With a savvy mum and Maurizio's business acumen and a business brand name like this, you don't know what the next generation could have been. And I, I just feel like, I know, I'm going from an entrepreneurial perspective, I just feel like creativity, that creativity that could have come, it could be exponential compared to any collaboration. But then coming from an accounting perspective, there's always got to be something behind that. There's always got to be foundations mm -hmm. behind those particular things in order for the entrepreneur to be creative in the first place. I agree. The creativity is one element of entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. as we already know. 100%. But the team around the entrepreneur is what makes the business what it is. Banger. And at the end of the day, when I look at the situation, and this is going to be the bottom line for me, mm -hmm. if you've got a family... And, you know, a lot of family businesses actually do well. If you look at the Dysons, like, yeah. fantastic. Yep. They absolutely do well. Great example. You know, but you've got families where they're not aligned anymore. Yeah. And greed becomes very, very toxic in given situations. Now, there's a reason why Maurizio sold all of the company and didn't keep a portion of the company. I don't think he wanted to give it down to his family. Yeah. Subject to the reason that there were certain individuals in the family that were doing certain things. True. I feel like Gucci are doing well now. As you said, who used to say that they would have done yeah. great? But I don't think they would have done better than what they're currently doing now based on the people that were running it. I think that's fair to say. I mean, again, it's your opinion and I think it's a valid one and I see where you come into it from. I do agree. I think the bottom line is what happened happened for the best. I feel like Maurizio was trying to put like a stop to this cycle of like crazy betrayal and just cash out. And every business person, well, not every business person, but... Most business people are looking for a cash out. We're looking for an exit strategy. That's what we call it. We don't. Some business people want to do it for life because they're setting up industries that are for generations. But some people want to cash out. You just want to get in and get out. And I feel like Maurizio was at that stage. It just goes to show, though, how much greed 
commercialism, capitalism can feed into a business, into a family and tear you apart. It reminds me a lot of things you said, even with the war, but he's mentioned with Gucci. It reminds me a lot of um, the Adidas and Puma story. Oh, the two brothers. Exactly. <laughs> Adidas and Puma story is mad. So, the Dazzler brothers. Yes. Adidasler and Rudolf Dazzler. That's right, isn't it? Adidas and Rudolf Dazzler. So, this, many people don't know, Adidas and Puma were brothers. 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 Blood brothers, not twins. I think Rudolf's older, Adi's younger. Um, we're going back now, so we're going to rewind. Going back to like World War I times. So during this time, um, Germany's an economic crisis, obviously. Um, that means no one's getting jobs. Um, inflation's at sky high. Money doesn't mean to think. If you go back into history, hyperinflation, kids are playing with cash on the floor. It's worth nothing. It's piling up cash on the floor, yeah? Um, this is part of the reason why um, Hitler wanted to come into reign to save Germany. I'm not giving you a history lesson, I was giving you some context. Um, so at this point, um, when World War I was happening, um, his parents, their parents, sorry, had a laundress, I believe. They had a laundress. Um, because of what happened in World War One, I, I mean, they finished World War One. there's no need for this laundress no more. The laundress not making no Everything money. got blown to smithereens. Got blown to smithereens, thank you smithereens. very much. So Adi, Adolf is that short for, not Hitler's brother, but we know where we're going here. <laughs> yeah. German gang, isn't it? German yeah. gang. Just, <laughs> yeah. It'd be easy on the German <laughs> gang. You get me? We've got a few guns in England, yeah. That's the German gang, Adolf, yeah. <laughs> so Adolf um, sets up, well, starts creating shoes just out of necessity because there's no, nothing around. He's got a passion for it, so he starts creating shoes. Um, he's doing all right. For three years, he's running this thing and he's getting a bit of coverage, getting a bit of press. From, he's from a small town in Germany. So he calls in his big brother and big brother says, Yo, can, can you give me some help? That's Rudolf. Rudolf says, yeah, man, of course, bro. Whatever, I got ya. World War II happens. Um, after, by World War II, they're carrying on producing, but they've made um, shoes that are necessary for the war, just like I said with Gucci, with Leather. Yeah. So they've, they've changed their proposition to make things that's necessary for the war. Um, during this time, and I'm not calling Adidas a Nazi company, I just want to say that from now, but they did align themselves with the Nazi regime because that's the only way you can make money during this time, you have to understand. Um, in a similar way to Putin, his, his friends or collaborative with like Roman Abramovich and these types of people. It's not because they're necessarily a supporter of the doctrine, it's because you have to align yourself with the political regime of what's happening, that is business. How, would, how better, else would you do it? Better than business, that's economics. Yeah. yeah? Business is <laughs> making money through the economical channel which is run by the political party. Cool. Yeah, you get that. Thank cool, you. safe. So they're doing well um, to the point where we're in big Nazi time now and we're going to have the Nazi Olympic Games, another one that everyone talks about. So this is when Hitler came out and said, Aryans, blonde hair, blue eyes, they're going to win the Olympics. We're all about performance. We're the fastest in the world. We're the strongest in the world. This is Hitler's talk. Um, Adolf, uh, even though it's aligned with the Nazi party, says, hmm. I like Jesse Owens from America, black guy. I think he's going to do well at this Olympics. So behind the Nazi regime's back, he sponsors Jesse Owens. So Jesse Owens wins the Olympics, fastest man in the world in Adidas, well, in their company's shoes. It's not Adidas at this time. Adolf's just acting on behalf of the company. It's the Dazzler Brother Company. So now they've got a reputation. Biggest, fastest brand in the world, yeah? I'm going to ask a quick question. Go for it. Was that the point where... They've gone, you know what, there's a bit of jealousy on envy. So, kind of, Rudy, Rudolph, got sent to the war, 
to work. He believes, because Addy got a new wife, just kind of like the Gucci thing, he believes that Addy and his wife set him up to say, yo, he needs to go work in the, in the war so they can take the company from underneath him. That's what his soul believes. <laughs> he believes that. True <laughs> um, enough, anyway, when they come back from the war, after a few years, companies closed down. This, this company that was set together has broken down now. Two companies get formed. Yes. This is 1948. This is the birth of Adidas and Puma. It was Rudy who's left and set up Puma before Adidas was set up. I just want to say this to you. So Rudolph, the guy, the older brother who went to the war, he left the company to set up Puma. So as a retaliation, Adidasla, who was the original person who cared about footwear, said, I'm going to make Adidas, Adidasla, Adidas. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the company. Did it rough though, didn't it? Well, he shot himself in the foot. Did it rough? So talk about the river. Yeah. So the setup. So literally, Rudolf says, "Yo." So there's a river that disc- that connects this small town of Germany where they're from. Rudolf says, "I'm putting my factory down here I'm in the be river, there, and you're on the side, and you're gonna be." And I decided I'm gonna be the side of the river. Said to the workforce, "Choose whoever you yeah, like. Whoever you wanna go with. Neil Kamai, choose. Choose. You, I'm telling you. <laughs> you see these family feuds. Different. It's rough. So as a result." Um, you got this biggest biggest rivalry in sports history ever. At the time, Nike's not a player. I want to say this to you. The time we're talking about, Nike is not big boy. It's not big boy. It's Adidas and Puma. Nike started pushing through when obviously Michael Jordan started coming into it. But then we can obviously go into Get the to conversation. That in a bit. So 1954 comes, yeah. Just fast forward in about five, six years, yeah. Adidas has been running. Puma's been running. Two separate companies, yeah. We get to Olympics again. Both of them are like, yo, we want the fastest, we know what it does, we want the fastest people in Adidas and we want them in Puma boots. Yeah. This is when they changed the history of sports marketing. So before that, you would never get a sponsored athlete in the Olympics, never get one. You were an amateur athlete only. You've got no money to you, you're just fast. These that came in bags, the equivalent of 10,000 pounds worth of cash and boots and said, wear these. So people are getting sponsored for the first time. Mm. Rudolph Clark's on the Adidas is doing it, so they're both doing it. Everyone's doing it now. And this is where the war took its biggest, biggest, biggest hit. And it's just interesting that all this is coming from this rivalry, this family bitterness, the same thing that drove Gucci. But this is what I keep, that's why I said to you, going back to that point, it's the envy and the jealousy that actually comes into it. And have you noticed, there's always a woman involved. It seems like- I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but I'm not blaming the, listen. It's, it's not women's fault. I'm ladies, not saying it's women's fault, so don't listen, think I'm saying that. I'm not blaming the ladies. I'm just saying that sometimes, the dynamic shift is too much for some people for handling you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I say? So it's got to handle it. It's like they can't handle it. Do you know what it is? It's like they start losing their mind when the woman actually gets involved in the situation. I yeah. don't know what it is, but... And continue. that's what we got to. So now we're in 1954. Big, massive time for Adidas. Adidas, I've slapped it. Germany just won the frigging World Cup. They won the World Cup wearing an Adidas kit head to toe. The top, the shorts, the boots... Adidas, 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 Adidas. Adidas is the biggest sports company in the world now. It's, it's undeniable. It's undeniable. So we're in this mad stage now where Germany and Adidas going back to back to back, back to back, trying different things. Um, Puma catches on and Puma starts for the next World Cup. They sponsor Pelé. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get it? We know what Pelé is doing out here. We know what Pelé is doing. Everybody knows it from generation to generation. If you don't know who Pelé is, boy. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to say. Pelé, the big man. Also, in the 1960 Olympics, they sponsored two athletes, haven't got the name, but they got two gold medals as well. 
So Puma is putting themselves on. Not only are we my brother's competition, but we actually can do things. Yeah. You've seen what Pelé is doing. You've seen what the Olympics is. We're out here. Um, this rivalry has been going on too. Obviously, it's passed on to the sons now. It's carrying on through the family. Two very different businesses, very different organisations. Um, Adidas is more um, led by the culture. Yes. More led through collaborations through, like, you know, Run DMC in the 80s, going all the way up to now. Who's, as a Storms is Storms is Adidas. Adidas, Adidas. Yeah, I think we need to talk about the biggest collaboration as well that Adidas has done together. Yeezys. Oh, Ye and obviously Yeezy, yeah. Big in the culture, the massive in the culture. The sales have absolutely surged ever since, you know, they've had the collaboration with Yeezys. 100%. Puma in the background, today to us, well, not even just to us, the market share is smaller. It's not as big as Adidas. It's not as big. But they have done some notable things. Um, like I said, Pelé. Um, Clyde sneakers from basketball. So if you're a basketball fan, you've had the Clyde sneakers. That was in the 80s. Clyde was a big basketballer. They were one of the first people to say, yo, have your own shoe and do your thing. Um, Clyde didn't get a deal like Jordan, obviously. We're talking back in the 70s. But it's the first people to do that. Um, Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt's massive for Puma in the last decade. Um, when Usain Bolt won the Olympics, they changed the whole brand proposition of Puma. And then that, the thing now is to be the fastest brand. What that means, I don't know. But the fastest brand, if you wear this, you're the fastest thinker, fastest runner. I don't know, but they're the fastest brand. That's what the, that's what the brand is based off. Even down to artists. artists. If you actually go over to America, I'm pretty sure Rick Ross, Meek Mill, and the likes of those people had a yeah. deal with um, Puma. Nipsey Hussle as Big well. Big Sean had one. Nipsey, Rihanna. It was a couple of them that actually had one, wasn't it? Big brands of Puma. One thing you might not know, Puma logo, you know that? Thing? I don't know what it is. What do you call that? I don't know. Uh, Can't say swoosh because Nike got that. It's like, yeah, that little thing they got. Whatever they got. Well, they call it the foam strip. For, foam strip, sorry. This is actually made in the 60s to stabilise the shoe. So that strips in there to actually stabilise the shoe. So it's two pieces of material with that thing in the middle sits through. That's what I, it's for. I, I thought it was just a bloody design. Nah, nah, it's actually for nowadays. <laughs> I'll be real with you, I'm wearing Pumas. I'm thinking, no, this See, design is actually all right, isn't it? But now, now good, good shout. Someone, someone of producer said, thought it was a tail. Good shout. It wasn't, it was just made for functionality. Nowadays, it's just to keep the brand alive just to get the brand alive, but that was created to actually keep the form of the shoe. Um, they believe that's what helped them in the Olympics in the 1960s. They believe that invention is when it came and that's what helped them in the Olympics. Interesting. Um, I just think it's interesting that today that the companies have kind of got two separate lanes, but kind of similarly based on the same thing. And I'm going to talk about that. So Nike, we know is about performance, yeah? Um, dry fit, that's football slogan, boots. Yeah. It's about performance. Yeah. Adidas sits in this cultural space, like you said, to all the people you mentioned. But where does Puma sit in the same cultural space? In performance? What, where, is, where is Puma? Do you know what? I think they're trying. They're trying. <laughs> they're trying. I'm sorry, but at that they're level, try is not enough, is it? They're just not there. I'll be honest with you, I just don't think they're there. I don't, think, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, with Puma, I just don't feel like they've got a good, strong brand identity. And I've done some research, and this isn't personal. This is what everyone feels like. Over the past 20 years, they've shifted between trying to be performance, then trying to be cultural, then trying to be um, like what they call athleisure, which is, you know, you know, you see the youths in their night like, dry fit track suits and that's athleisure, that's like wearing sportswear for fun. You know, you see the girls in their leggings going shopping and freaking boring, but they're not going to the gym. That's athleisure. <laughs> uh, they tried that realm and that's why they got Rihanna on board for athleisure. And you know, Rihanna went on to do Fenty, but that was their springboard. Uh, they haven't really found their groove. 
The most recent, sorry, that's just one last thing. The most recent person we got is Neymar, um, footballer Neymar. And he sits in this weird zone. He's a great footballer, obviously, but he's kind of like a cultural icon kind of thing. He's got like a, like a, a young youth, strong following. It's like, so where are Puma? What, what, what are you? What are you trying to do? If, if I was to answer you this question. Go for it. What is their brand identity? What would you say? Sports? Uh, talk about this then. I got, I'm actually long-winded. When Puma set up their company, the reason why Rudolph chose Puma as a name was because he wanted to base his company on something that, again, was fast. I don't know why fast is his thing. Fast, resilient, and strong, that's what he says. So the original encounter of them actually creating it was for sports. Yeah. Sports, yeah. Fast, resilient, and strong. We had, to, no, we had to go back a second. Until 90s, and I'm not about 90s, really I'm talking about 90s, sportswear was only about performance. It wasn't about being like culturally cool. It's only about performance, only from like Jordans and like tracksuits and these types of things that we start to get to this athleisure world. But at the time, yeah, it was created to be performance. Um, so that's when I made it Pima, strong, resilient and fast. If you ask me about what their brand identity is today, they're definitely still resilient. They're resilient, they're still here. So they've got to show resilience. They're worth about some and not, ranges of about 220 million or something. Yeah, they're not in debt. They're not in debt. They're doing well. They I, mean, do well. I think Adidas is what six hundred and something million. Yeah. In terms of their, so three uh, times bigger. Yeah, something, some, some, some madness like that. But Puma are still there. Don't get me wrong. It's just that. Uh, just not that. What is what? Why did we choose Puma? <laughs> and you see that gap that no one knows why we choose Puma. They've got some nice bits. I have got some. I've got. I've had a few Puma things in my time. I'm Jamaican. They sponsored the whole Jamaica team. So there's a natural affinity for me there. Like we just recognise Puma. In some parts of the world, they recognise Puma as a bigger brand than in England and in America. But I just don't see where they fit in the grass. I'm, I'm going to use an analogy in boxing. And for all the boxers, you're going to understand what I mean. They're gatekeepers. Go on. So gatekeepers are literally this. They're better than all the other brands, but they're not world level. No, they're not. That's what it is. World level is Nike. So right. And I think that's where they are at the moment. And what's the other one called? Um, help me out, please. They make dry fit Under Armour. Yes. They're not even Under Armour's level. Under Armour makes way more money than Puma, and Under Armour sticks to the performance. Yeah, Yeah, but they've... they've, they've got That's what they've seen. I would have you know. Yeah. And Anthony Joshua is actually... He's repping that brand differently. Und, und, yeah, The Rock. Yeah, The Rock. Under Armour. You see und, them a lot? They're repping that brand. Do you know what? I've seen some nice pieces. Yeah. I remember my, my friend come to me. He's like, oh, bro, I just got a hard track seat. I was like, what, what track seat is that? You come with the Under Armour one. I was like, bro, that's kind of hard, isn't right, it? Right, it? You know, I'm going to say this off topic. I already realised the Under Armour logo was, says Under Armour this year. Like, you know, the U. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know what the hell that was. <laughs> Edit, I didn't know what that was. So, but, but my point says, bring it back on point, is that Adidas have, since this separation, they've taught themselves to brand new heights. They've carved their own lane. They're distinctive. They're bold. They trailblaze. They're international. And they've had big wins. Puma, I don't know if they're following in the same vein. They've got notoriety, they're a big player in the game. But if you're talking about family feuds, and this is what this episode is about in terms of family dynamics, Adidas has definitely won this one. I'm clear. It's, it's, it's clear. You can clearly see it. Clearly. Three so, times. So you said three times. Three times. So takeaways I'll take from this, this is for you guys at home. First of all, really distinguish your brand. Adidas has done a great job at distinguishing their brand from the three stripes to the people they've aligned themselves with, to the brand endorsements, for the way that they position their brand. They've really made sure it's clear what they're about. With Puma, not quite the case. 
Um, second thing I would say is to diversify your audience and diversify your market. Um, diversify, again, I'm, I'm talking jargon. Change up, switch up, keep it fresh. Yeah, keep your portfolio mixed with different things that can help you get revenue streams. So Adidas might have been doing football at one point in the Germany World Cup, but now they're working with Kanye West and he ain't winning no World Cups. So keep it fresh. Keep that takeaway. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of banner. Go on. <laughs> Stop allowing women to make you... <laughs> Stop allowing them to break to make the company. Yeah, come on, man. I, I, and I want to touch on that, not just women. Personal relationships and business are two separate entities. Yeah? Sometimes I bring my brother, my partner, my brethren to work, and I might be a direct business leader. I might give them a strong direction. But I always say to them, look, what I'm saying to you, it's not personal. It's just, we're just working today. We're just performing. When yeah, we get back, it's all love. It's all cuddles. You know everybody's taking business personal nowadays. I, don't I think get that's why. the biggest problem. It's not personal. I think the reason why, do you know what? Have contracts in place. Yeah. You're never, ever going to fall into these problems. Yeah. As long as you have some form of contract in place, you're not going to fall into these problems. And as you said, business is business. This is business. But what people always do is that there's always this emotional element that they attach to it. And the emotional alignment to business is why people actually crash and they leave themselves to destruction. It's self-sabotage, so 100%. to speak. You see, with business, I'll tell you straight, I've been running business for seven years. A lot of it's in your head. I want to say a lot of it's in your head in terms of the concepts, the strategies, the um, achievements, the negatives, it's all in your head. And you project that outwards. If you start to look at this in a less emotional way in terms of where you, you just track where you was to where you are, you track what your outputs to your inputs, business becomes very enjoyable. It's the emotions that tell you that. It's the emotions that weigh you down. So this thing about interpersonal relationships affecting business, it's really not, I'm just not here for it. Like we, we're all here to get on board with the ideology. It's the brand culture, it's the business culture, it's the target, it's the strategy. Let's stick to that. And it's about, and it's about maintaining them systems and processes. This is what you need to do in any, any given organisation. If you really want to know one thing about a business, once you have a system and process in place, it doesn't matter who's behind that system and process. I always use McDonald's as the perfect example for that. You can put a 16-year-old behind that bloody counter. You get it. And they're still going to be able to run but that company. System and process and that business is probably the best, one of the best operational businesses in the world, 100%. hands down. It's what Nas said on his recent album. Double down on what's working and that's how you double up. Because. And it's exactly that. If it's working, double down on it, make more systems, more processes, more better luck. Keep doubling down and you double up your profits. Double down on what's working. Big facts. Yeah? 100%. Again, round up another great episode from the bottom line. This one's been about family feuds and how that could affect business. If you know some examples about how families have been broken down through business on a global scale or on a local scale, put a comment below, man. I'd love to hear some of this. I want to pick this subject up again because I think it's bigger than Adidas and Puma. And oh, it's way bigger than that. loads. Yeah. Um, I want to look at the Royal Family one day as a business and see how that's going down. And the firm. The firm. You're going to know about that one day, I'm telling yeah. you. So, like I said, if you've got ideas or you know things about it, drop it in the comments. Um, and please keep liking, subscribing, and watching the Bottom Line Show. This is a show where we get to the bottom of the business and finance world by reading in between the lines. I've been Kieran Frantic. Kim Alpros. Keep watching. We're out.